From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. The 26th Conference of Parties at Glasgow ended last week. Build is the last chance to save the world from the galloping rate of climate change. It ended somewhat predictably with mixed results. India dominated both the start and the final day of the COP, where more than 185 countries were in attendance. At the start of the conference, Prime Minister Modi announced India's commitment to net zero emissions by 2070. And then, in the dying minutes of the final day, India insisted on passing the final declaration, changing the crucial sentence on phasing out coal to phasing down coal. This seemingly innocuous change of one word from out to down meant Brand. a major change for the whole Climate world. Climate change while I was in Glasgow, there was a talk about how this announcement uh, came about in a slightly chaotic, unplanned uh, way. Uh, to, to be more specific, the United Kingdom that was in charge of this year's COP had been leading a process of negotiations with country ahead of COP, trying to get these commitments from country. But India was seen to kind of arrive in Glasgow and make this uh, commitment out of the blue, uh, which created some flutters. The second thing that India did was, at the very last moment, uh, India ensured that in the final text of the uh, of what happened at Glasgow, uh, the crucial mention of phasing out coal was changed to phasing down coal. Um, which demonstrated India's diplomatic might, but has been seen by environmentalists and those championing for uh, stricter and more uh, rigid commitment to phase out of coal um, as disappointing. Uh, so, so yeah, I think some do feel that India could have played a, a more constructive role in the final phases of the negotiation there. But of course, we also know that India has its own um, constraints when it comes to committing to, you know, phasing out coal. That's environmentalist Aditya Bahadur, who is a senior principal researcher at the International Institute for Environment and Development, and he was attending his third COP. But few can beat the experience of my colleague, Times of India's environment editor Vishwamohan, who is attending his eighth COP. In this podcast, Aditya Bahadur and Vishwamohan are joined by former bureaucrat Rajni Ranjan Rashmi, who was India's principal negotiator for climate change for several years in the lead-up to the Paris summit. The three of them break down in granular detail the hits and missed opportunities at COP26 and how India fared. If you look at the text very carefully, India has not, uh, in a sense, said that you don't phase out inefficient uh, fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, even even you look at EU members that uh, keep on using coal. If you look at Poland, it's entirely entirely dependent on coal. So uh, one has to when these kind of negotiations take place, every country has its own national interest in mind. And when India said 
look at the carbon space look at the historical uh, historical cumulative emissions india is far far less than all the uh, developed countries in fact even the smallest of the developed countries have emitted much more than india in the past so india uh, took the national circumstances in view and india said is better uh, not to go out for the phase out coal but phase down coal india has been running uh, many schemes uh, where it it is supposed to give subsidies to poor uh, who depends on uh, those subsidies uh, can can anyone expect india not to provide subsidy uh, for lpg to poor household all those country who are lecturing india now they most of them they have not committed pre 2020 goals what they are asking india is is very surprising if you look at the pre 2020 goals they have not fulfilled their promises united states walked out from the pre 2020 kyoto protocol so how can they question india it's very surprising so i would say india's stand was very balanced That's my colleague Vishwa Mohan, who is of the firm view that unlike the industrialized nations who reneged on their commitments to contribute a hundred billion dollar USD annually to the climate change fund, India has always walked the talk. In fact, it has voiced the concerns of the developing South. He says, "When you are saying phasing down, yeah, uh, there is no deadline attached." if anyone anyone who has looked at the india's renewable energy trajectory they know that india has consistently been increasing its renewable energy footprints so when you increase renewable energy footprints that means it will gradually you gradually will your dependence on coal will reduce so one has to be very careful when analyzing all these things uh, uh, minal i would like to say that in these kind of negotiations it's not versus india or us or india or uk it's first this global north and global south and india represented global south quite strongly uh, we may at home we may be disagree with lot of steps uh, india has taken which may go against environmental conservation which at home we may go against the government's policy in certain way but when you look at the international platform it was global north versus global south and india truly represented global south india raised the financial issue that they did not like it and mm. when they did not like it they just started criticizing india and did anyone respond to uh, india's question on finance and uh, technology transfer at affordable cost to developing countries no one responded Vishwa, you've been covering the various COPs since 2013. This is, in fact, your eighth COP. I want to ask you that: Do you get a sense of the fault lines between the global industrialized North and the developing South? Do you see that the fault lines have deepened in this COP? If you look at the finance and technology transfer aspects, uh, that uh, mistrust has deepened. Uh, because the global south consistently had been asking throughout the uh, conference where is the money you promised for they said we are looking for phasing out of fossil fuel for the sake of small island nation vulnerable countries but where is the money to support those vulnerable countries uh, uh, one should uh, keep this in mind that Uh, though india is part of the global south and also asking for the financial commitment from the global north from the affluent nations 
whatever India achieved, uh, whatever promise it fulfilled uh, under its 2015 uh, nationally determined contributions goal, India has done it with its own budget. One of these fault lines was on the crucial issue of loss and damage. Now, just to be clear, what loss and damage pertains to is that what happens when poor people suffer from the impacts of climate change? Who compensates them for for their losses? Because after all, if you're suffering from a hurricane or a flood or extreme rainfall or a lack of water, these are all impacts of climate change. And let's not forget that most of the climate change that we experience today has been uh, caused by uh, emissions from industrialized countries. So least developed countries were really pushing hard to ensure that a Glasgow facility for financing loss and damage is declared and that rich countries provide some money to poor countries to rebuild after climate-induced shocks and stresses. Uh, It was hoped almost until Friday 5 p.m. that this would come through, but unfortunately, it did not come through, um, and which was seen again as the uh, industrialized countries not doing their bit. Aditya Bahadur's area of specialization is resilience and adaptation issues related to climate change. And here he talks about the gains made at COP26. We must remember that discussions on climate change have two aspects. One is mitigation, which is about preventing the emission of greenhouse gases. And the second is adaptation, which is supporting poor and vulnerable people deal with the impacts of climate change. And I think adaptation is frequently overlooked when we talk about happenings at COP. And I think at this COP, there were some very significant uh, developments with regard to adaptation. For instance, a formal two-year process was announced uh, to determine a global goal on climate adaptation. There is an adage which says you can only do what you can measure. So determining a global goal, I think, will go a long way in ensuring an enhanced level of ambition for climate adaptation for the world's poorest and most vulnerable communities. Explain for our listeners what do you mean by climate adaptation? So uh, there are a number of actions that all of us can take to adapt to a changing climate. For instance, if you're a farmer and temperatures in your area are going up, you can start planting different kinds of crops that are more adapted to higher temperatures. Uh, If you are uh, building a house, on a low-lying area, and climate change tells us that flooding is going to become more frequent, you can build your house in a particular way that allows it to be less affected by flooding, for instance, by raising the plinth. Um, So there are a range of actions that one can do to adapt to a changing climate. And uh, at COP, frequently people focus on mitigating greenhouse gases that cause climate change, but overlook the vital importance of actions to adapt to climate change. Let's remember, if all the chimneys of the world go silent today, we're going to continue to feel the impacts of a climate of a changing climate for the next five or six decades. So adaptation is crucially important, important and therefore um, the formal declaration of a process to agree on a global goal on adaptation, I think needs to be recognized um, as a watershed moment in global climate policy. I think some really interesting things happened uh, this time. According to me, this was the first conference of parties where we saw a serious and earnest engagement of the private sector in debates on climate change. Massive global uh, campaigns, such as the Race to Resilience campaign, uh, which is exclusively aimed at non-government organizations, including the private sector, uh, came together and um, have committed 
to ensuring that half the world's population becomes more resilient to the impacts of climate change. So that, that's usually significant. The other thing that I personally noticed at this COP and was immensely pleased with is that given that a lot of the discussions and events were hybrid, meaning that they had a virtual component and a physical component, we heard much more from people who are on the front lines of climate change. I was in many events where we heard directly from slum dwellers suffering the impacts of um, flooding or extreme heat, from farmers you know, suffering from high uh, increasing salinity due to sea level rise and other impacts of climate change, as opposed to most COPs where you end up hearing from technocrats and experts. Aditya, do you get a sense that the promises that India has made, are they practical, feasible, doable? My hunch is that the long-term target of 2070 provides a useful but vague goal for India to pursue. What is uh, much more interesting, and I think by and large achievable, are the shorter-term commitments that Prime Minister Modi made in Glasgow, which include... um, you know, promising to have 50% of India's power generated by renewable energy by 2030, increasing its non-fossil fuel energy capacity to 500 gigawatts by the same year, and reducing its projected carbon emissions by 1 billion tons between now and 2030. He's also committed to um, a 45% reduction in the carbon intensity of the economy by 2030. So I think these shorter-term commitments over the next nine years or so are really interesting and I think by and large within our reach given that we have the right amount of financing and the right policy environment in place. It's a view echoed by R.R. Rashmi who, unlike Vishwamohan and Aditya Bahadur, has actually had the inside view of how these negotiations are conducted. The former Chief Secretary of Manipur is at present Distinguished Fellow and Program Director, Earth Science and Climate Change at Terry, the Energy and Resources Institute. Here he explains about India's NDC, or Nationally Determined Contribution on Cutting Down Carbon Emissions. You've been India's principal negotiator for climate change and were part of the climate change policy in the run-up to Paris. How do you see India's trajectory and commitment to its uh, to climate change in the intervening years? India's NDC has a number of elements, uh, but the three quantifiable goals there are clearly visible to everyone. Uh, one is that uh, you know, the 33 to 35% emissions intensity of GDP reduction, you know, which means that as India's GDP grows, its emissions will not grow in the same fashion. Uh, as uh, you know, if the GDP grows at six to seven percent, emissions will not grow at more than three percent, and, and this is, has actually been achieved. Uh, uh, the, the The goal was that by 2030, India will reduce the emissions intensity of its GDP by 35 percent over 2005 year. And uh, the latest inventory, which uh, was given out by India in 2018, says that India has achieved 24 percent already. So uh, in the next 12 years, it is anybody's guess that uh, I think given the current trend in the growth of uh, GDP and the current trend in the growth of emissions, I think we'll uh, be on target fully. Maybe we will overachieve this. Uh, And of course, uh, as you may have noted, Prime Minister has enhanced this target to 45% at Glasgow. And I think uh, that is still within its reach. 
But the second, even more critical uh, goal which India had set out hmm. was in terms of energy transition, in terms of building up capacity for renewable energy. And that uh, before uh, COP, uh, before Paris Agreement, it was 20,000 megawatts. After the Paris Agreement, the government raised it to uh, 275,000 uh, megawatts. And now the Prime Minister has raised it to 500 gigawatts to be created by uh, 2030 in terms of renewable energy capacity. That's phenomenal. India has already achieved 38% of its total energy genera- electricity generation capacity from renewables. When If you uh, combine all the uh, hydro, small hydro, um, uh, the solar and the wind, the uh, energy generation capacity is already 38% of the total electricity generation capacity in the country. And uh, uh, Prime Minister's goal is 50% by 2030. I think we'll reach there very soon. I apologize for the way this process has unfolded. um, And uh, I'm deeply sorry. I also understand the, the deep disappointment. But I think as you have noted, it's also vital that we um, protect this package. While India and China's tough stance on coal phase down may have reduced British politician and president of COP26 Alok Sharma to tears of frustration, R.R. Rashmi, like Vishwamohan, is of the view that India obviously had to take its own domestic imperatives into consideration First and foremost, uh, coal is one of the uh, is a part of the energy system of any country, uh, more so in particularly in India, which does not have any uh, access to alternative sources of energy. India is not uh, like Europe or US, uh, who have um, large access to natural gas or and and uh, uh, you know the offshore gas uh, and and uh, other sources of nuclear and other parts. India is a very different, uh, in a very different uh, position. It's still a developing country where its energy needs are rising. So uh, the, the coal question which came up, uh, it all, what it sought to uh, do was to, um, uh, uh, no, there was absolutely no distinction in terms of obligations for the coal phase out between developing and developed countries. So India resisted that because given the fact that the resources and technologies are limited, and uh, the, the coal is still a dominant uh, uh, factor. We are still about 70% dependent on coal for our energy needs. All our energy modeling studies indicate that if India does not have option to shift to green hydrogen or any other or nuclear or any other renewable source um, at the scale at which it is needed, I think the coal will continue to play a large part in the energy system uh, in supplying the base load power. So critical uh, element uh, to be understood in this entire debate is what is the kind of alternative energy that is available to us to supply the base load power that can come only from energy storage we produce renewable energy and store it store it either in the batteries or in the hydro uh, electric system or maybe a green hydrogen itself can act as a storage so we will have to have innovative low cost low carbon uh, energy storage systems if we really want to decarbonize our power system and our industrial system. The other major player from Asia was, of course, China, 
while President Xi Jinping himself may not have been in attendance, China's initiative along with the United States on methane emissions has won it several brownie points. I asked both Aditya Bahadur and R.R. Rashmi on the implications of that. Well, the agreement between that was brokered by the U.S. with China on reducing methane emissions is quite significant in week one of the Conference of Parties. Entirely unexpected, probably was brewing in the background, and I think is demonstrative that China also wants to step up and do its bit. Let's remember that methane is uh, many, many times more harmful for uh, causing climate change than carbon dioxide. So cur- curtailing those emissions is right uh, is uh, is very important. And I think, uh, yes, while China was the one to raise the issue of including language around phasing down versus phasing out coal, it is widely known that it was a result of a conversation that India and China had uh, and uh, sort of tactical collaboration on that point there. So I think, again, uh, overall, this COP is significant because people got the sense that China was committing in a positive frame of mind to the negotiation process. Uh, but I think on at the last minute, India and China digging the heels in on phasing out versus phasing down was um, was not seen as helpful. At, at Glasgow, India was not a part of the discussions on cutting down on methane emissions and on deforestation. Uh, how does that sit with the rest of our commitment to to uh, climate change, to improving, to mitigating effects of climate change? Uh, India is one of the few countries in the world where forests have stabilized. They are not getting deforested uh, in the manner, or I think um, in the manner in in which it is happening in the rest of the world. Brazil and Indonesia, these are countries which have, or Africa, they face actual problem of deforestation at a very large scale. That problem doesn't exist in our country. In fact, after the Supreme Court intervention and the, the the forest conservation policies which we have put in place, fortunately, the forest area is not going down any further. We may have issues with the quality of the forests, but um, uh, there is absolutely no issue as far as the, uh, the forest area uh, stabilization is concerned. Uh, but of course, we need to create more carbon sink, and it's one of the goals in our NDCs that we will add 2.5 to 3 billion tons of additional carbon sink in our forests. We should move in that direction. This is one area where our indices, uh, where our progress is a little weaker. We need to strengthen this through good innovative programs. But let me come to the other uh, part of the question uh, about methane. You know, the problem with methane is that methane uh, in our country, the rises mostly in livestock population and rice cultivation. And both are, you know, livelihood issues and they are growth issues for our country. Hmm. Obviously, we cannot, um, unless we change our agricultural system, uh, the rice cultivation will continue the way it is. And uh, rice cultivation needs a lot of water and the methane uh, production takes place uh, in course of rice cultivation. So if we are able to, uh, you know, change our agricultural system, maybe we can bring down methane emissions. But that is not unlikely in the immediate future. And I think that is the reason why India was not consciously a part of this exercise. But uh, as you may see, the COP uh, has taken a decision that all the countries will work towards methane emission reduction. So India will have to do it in a slightly imaginative manner. You know, 
away from all the jargon and and all the kind of the negotiations in glasgow the lived reality in india in indian cities you're in delhi is that on a daily basis our our battles with with pollution with with flooding and all seems to be growing at an exponential rate can you give us a sense of how do we deal with this that was immensely disappointing for me uh, at the scop especially as uh, i read about the headlines of delhi going into a air pollution emergency which is where i live uh, what was shocking and disappointing to me was that there's not a single mention of urban areas or um, cities in the final declaration um, from glasgow let's remember that more than half the world's population now lives in cities cities are responsible for 80% of the world's gdp and an overwhelming disproportionate amount of carbon emissions across the world and overlooking cities uh, as a vital battlefield in the war against climate change i think is a big mistake that the global community of practice working on climate negotiations continues to make time and time again we say no more blah 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 no more exploitation of people and nature and the planet no more exploitation no more blah 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 so did it in the end just amount to words for all his disappointments about missed opportunities at glasgow this is what aditya bahadur has to say my first cop uh, was in marrakesh and on the second day of the cop donald trump was elected as president of america uh, so so uh, it was uh, a very um, depressing conference of parties where no one knew where the global climate agenda uh, was going to go or rather everyone knew the direction it was going to go in because so, uh, you know so much of it is determined by the us uh, but this cop i think certainly was optimistic some of the heavy hitters were there president obama um made an appearance i found myself walking next to alexandria ocasio cortez and nancy pelosi so one felt that uh the people who have a say in making things work uh were really committed uh, of course the indian delegation was massive not only did we have the prime minister we had the foreign minister and the national security advisor which demonstrates india's level of seriousness when it comes to um these negotiations i'm a huge fan of greta i think she's the conscience keeper of her generation uh i think the contribution that she's made to youth activism on climate change is remarkable i do want want to voice an unpopular opinion which is entirely mine is that her declaring on the third or fourth day i can't remember of the conference of parties that the uh, cop is a failure is not the most helpful uh, remark i think it was as unhelpful as john kerry's remark on day 2 saying it's a huge success um because i think a lot goes on at the conference of parties uh that needs to be recognized for the progress that we make Today's episode is produced by Arun George and Sunay Marathi For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter subscribe to us We are available on TUI Plus Spotify Apple Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice For any news tips reach us at tuipodcast@timesinternet.in at